Good, so we're looking into uh, the book of James as we do so. Uh, we've been doing this for a few weeks now. And uh, we've been learning about what it means to follow Jesus from this book in the New Testament. You can find it. Uh, the bit we're looking at is on page 1215 in the Church Bibles. So do uh, turn it up so that you can see uh, what we're kind of talking about this morning. Um, uh, and you may have uh, remembered from last week that uh, what we're kind of learning is that these Christians who were right at the very beginning of the Christian story, uh, and they received this letter in their scattered communities written by a man called James, they had been going through real struggles, hadn't they? They'd come to know Jesus, but, you know, they noticed that their old ways, the natural tendencies, the things kind of in us that we have to go wrong... Uh, they hadn't suddenly been blocked or turned off mysteriously. As we've seen, it was possible for them to start fires with what they said, all that stuff about the tongue, for example. And uh, we saw, too, that um, these uh, believers need wisdom. They need something from God to help them to live the life that Jesus calls them to live. And there was a path to that kind of wisdom uh, that we saw. Uh, and there were different wisdoms on offer, and not all of them were particularly good. And last week, in the early part of chapter 4 on page 1215, we saw some of the things that were blocking them, blocking the road to wisdom. We saw that there were their desires, their old way of living. We saw as well that there was this attraction to, to give their hearts to the world, as it were, the, the way of living in the culture or around them that is without God. And then there was the devil who opposed them. It says there uh, in chapter uh, 4, verse 7, as a reference. So what about us then? Do we have struggles? You know, some of us uh, like to say we'd like to be biblical Christians. Ever heard that expression? I want to be a biblical Christian. Well, these are biblical Christians. And we are like them. We struggle with this stuff, don't we? When we're honest, when we're really honest, we're no different in the struggles we have with our desires, with the pressure of the world around us, with the battle with the enemy, the devil, who opposes us and wants to destroy what God is doing in our lives too. And James has good news in verse 7. There it is. Look at verse 7. He says to them, Submit then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And uh, we thought about that last week. Sim took us there. You can look at, uh, get it on the podcast uh, or on iTunes even now. Is it on iTunes or something? You can get that there or on the website. It's saying we can submit to God. God helps us. God comes near to us. We can come near to him. We can resist the devil. We can be washed, it says. Those old desires don't have to dominate us anymore. Our minds and hearts don't need to be pulled in two directions. We can, it says, come near to God. That's the, the thrust of that. Come near to God, it says. Have you come near to God ever? can be an intense process, verse 9. It's got some pretty strong emotions there. At the heart of it is something the Bible calls repentance, which simply means that I admit the truth about myself to myself and to God. 
I come clean about the stuff that's wrong and the help I need. And that's sometimes not an altogether comfortable process. It can be humbling, as it says. And I ask God for the forgiveness and the power he gives. And look what he does there. Verse 6, he gives more grace. Verse 8, it says, he comes near to us. Verse 10 says, he lifts us up. He does it all. We turn to him, and he does so much for us. Like the story of the man in the prodigal son, he decides to go back home to his father. He makes a decision. He's on the road. Who does all the running? The father runs to meet him. The father comes to bring him home. The father draws near to him, and the relationship is restored. Well, as we come to God, it's like that. So have you ever come to God, as James wants us to? Well, here's another question. Have you ever come back to God? Because this process is ongoing. You know, we can still get things really wrong in our lives, can't we? Jesus expected that. That's why do you think he told us to pray, forgive us our sins? Why would he have done that? if he didn't expect there to be times when we, as believers, need to come back to God? Why do you think he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, if we would never be sinned against as believers? Have you ever come back to God? I have, different times. Sometimes in very big ways. There have been very big issues in my life, sometimes over smaller things. It's a wonderful thing to come back to God. You know, that sense of coming back to the Father and the warmth of his embrace and the idea of restoration, that's not just for when you first become a Christian. That's for whenever we need to come back to God. So James writes to encourage Christians, biblical ones in those days, and people like us now, he wants us to live the life. To come near to God, to walk the road of wisdom, to come near to God, and here's the thing, to stay near to God. And for the rest of this letter, I think he's largely telling us, that's his focus, to help us to live a life that stays close, stays near to God. And we'll see that it's going to be in our relationships and community. It's about how we make our plans and get on with our lives. It's how we use money. It's ethics. It's about waiting for things. It's in suffering. It's in prayer. In all of these things, James is saying, stay near to God. You've come near to God. Now stay near to him. And that is the Christian life. We come to God. And we stay near to him. We walk with him in the big encounters and in the everyday steps. And in this passage we're looking at, there are two ways we need to stay near to God. And we're going to go quite fast. Here's the first way. It's in verse 11 and 12 in our lives together. Brothers and sisters, read it, follow it with me. Verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, 
Who are you to judge your neighbor? Here's uh, James in his very blunt way speaking. Tell us what you think, James, we might say, and he does. How do they relate to one another in Christian community? Brothers and sisters, it says, listen, listen, he says, don't speak badly of each other. Because speaking against people, writing them off, deciding you know, I know what you're really like. I don't need to you know, know anything more about that. I know, I can tell. That kind of attitude... You know, I know why you did that. I know why you said that, and it's usually bad. <laughs> you know, that kind of attitude. James says, don't do that. You're not going to stay near to God if you behave that way. It's easy to do, isn't it? Because what happens, James says, is that when we do that, you see, our opinion becomes like God's law. And we judge people. It's all about what I think, about how I've been affected by whatever we we're uptight about. And that takes the focus of me doing the right thing myself because I'm thinking about all of you and all of your stuff and mess and whatnot. See? What James is saying in our life together, don't judge. And when we do that, verse 12 says that we're leaving God out of it. Verse 12 says there's only one lawgiver and judge, and it's not me and it's not you, it's God. And when we take that God's job upon ourselves, then... Where's God in the whole thing? See, we're, we're drifting away from him. That's his point. Does that mean we ignore what's wrong? Kind of turn a blind eye to things that aren't right? Well, if you turn to the very end of James, which you might do later or you can do now, the very last two verses, actually, of James talk about brothers and sisters bringing people back when they kind of wander from the truth. And James says, you should bring someone back when they wander from the truth. And that's the thing. That's the difference. It's about wanting the person to come back. It's about wanting that outcome. Being prepared to pray, to love, to listen, not to condemn uh, or you know, pass a verdict. Especially not to other people. Not leaving God out or taking his place. We do that, we're drifting And James wants us to stay near to God, not speaking evil, not judging in the Christian community. Talk, if you've got something against me, talk to me about it. Don't talk to others about me. That's what Jesus told us to do, wasn't it? Talk to the person first. And there are ways to sort things out as we do that. Stay near to God. Don't drift by judging and speaking against other Christians. But there's another way that we can stay near to God. And that's in everyday life. Look at chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Now, listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Someone thinking of having a gap year, maybe, or something like that. I don't know. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So what is... um, James talking about here 
Staying near to God in ordinary life. Is it just about people who make business plans in verse 13? No, but verse 15 has a key phrase there. See verse 15? If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. It's about the way we live our normal everyday lives. Whether we're thinking about moving to another city or not. It's how we live. It's about living in God's will. Are we going to live near to God? Are we going to come to God and stay near to God in the way we live our lives or not? God's will, what God wants in the big stuff and the smaller stuff. It's how Jesus lived, isn't it? Jesus knew God's calling on him. Jesus knew what he'd come to do. By the time he began his ministry, he was absolutely certain of that. And if he wasn't before, he was after his baptism. But there's also this everyday aspect we see in the life of Jesus. In the moment by moment. Remember that story in John 4? Jesus is in that Samaritan village. He's tired from his walk, long walk. The disciples say, you sit down there, Jesus. Have a rest by the well. Um, I will go and get some food. And Jesus is really tired and he sits by the well. Disciples go off and then they come back, I know, half an hour, an hour later with some food from the village. And they see Jesus excitedly talking to this woman that has come along. Do you remember that? And they say to him, what's happened to him? Have you? Have you eaten, Jesus, they say? Are you not tired anymore? And Jesus said an interesting thing. He says, actually, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. You see, Jesus was kind of nourished by this awareness that he was living with God over the moment-by-moment stuff as well as the kind of overarching arc of his life. And we know what God's will is for us, don't we? It's in his word, the Bible. It says in the Bible he wants us to be holy. If you look up, you know, in, in a, God's will and you'll find different references to different things. In the New Testament, it says, God's will is that we're holy, that we're different, that we keep away from immorality in 1 Thessalonians 4. To be led by the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, that's God's will for us. To be obedient, it says in Romans 12. The overall shape is clear, to live a life that is shaped by God's word, God's truth. But there's also a day-to-day walking in his will as well. As we make specific decisions, very big ones sometimes, or maybe medium-sized ones, or even smaller ones, about how we'll live. Can we bring God and his purposes into the way we just live our lives? This living in God's will is good for us. Romans 12 talks about God's good and perfect and acceptable will. Living his way is good. It's a good way to go. Living close to him is satisfying. It keeps us near God. And James points out four ways in which it is helpful for us as we live in God's will. And we're going to quickly go through them. Here's the first one. It helps us, verse 13, with the complexity of life. You know, people are saying today or tomorrow we'll go to what city then? This city or that city? Today or tomorrow? Should we stay a year or more? You know, there's so many possibilities, James is saying. And he's saying, living in God's will, saying to God, be part of what I'm doing. 
I want your will to be done in my life. I want to submit my life to your purposes and your plans. Helps us face as we face the complexity. And we live very complicated lives, don't we? That's one way it helps us. Enables us to choose the options with a sense of a bigger purpose. It also helps us with uncertainty, verse 14. James says, quite rightly so, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That kind of affects everything, doesn't it? We can be very uncertain. So as we ask God for his will, as we bring him into our decisions, as we live each day with him, so we're kind of connected to something that is certain. God is certain. He's the rock, it says in the word. We kind of live with the rock, as it were. And it helps us with verse 14, talks about the whole fragility of life. Life is short. Life is fragile. James says life can be like the mist you see when you get up. It's the thing about Southampton. I know it's true. Uh, I've noticed often I open my uh, curtains and it's absolutely beautiful in the morning. And then by coffee time, it's all cloudy or whatever. And sometimes in the morning, you, uh, the curtains there, it says, you know, it, life can be like mist in the morning that's gone by coffee time. True, isn't it? Life is very fragile. As we live with God, we're connected to his solid foundation, the rock of God's presence, his word, his truth, all that he's done. And also, James says that it protects us from kind of alternative motivations, from temptations. Look at verse 16. As it is, if you just leave God out, well, all you've got really, it says, is your arrogant schemes, your great ideas. That's all you've got. Is that good enough? Might be, might not be. But the thing is, James said, we can live with more. We don't have to be kind of locked into our brilliant schemes, which sometimes aren't so brilliant after all. It helps us living in God's will. And verse 17, it says it helps us to be obedient. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. God's living, thank God I want you to be part of my life today. I want you to be with me as I make these plans. I want to commit my life to you. It helps us not to sin. It helps us to be obedient. So in all of these areas, James is saying we can stay close to God as we live consciously in his will. Some of us are frightened of God's will, aren't we? What if we miss it, we think? Oh, it seems very cold, mechanical, like a blueprint, you know. Engineering isn't as attractive to some of us as it is to others of us, and it all seems a bit hard and, you know, mechanical. And it isn't like that at all. In reality, living in God's will is a journey with him. Not a map, not a blueprint. He says, here you are, chuck down the map or the blueprint, get on with that. He's saying, I'll come with you. It's relational. He comes with us. We make mistakes and he works it out. It's organic. A bit like how the body works. When the body gets broken, it kind of works around itself, doesn't it? Even in brain injuries, that can sometimes happen. And history and the Bible is full of people who, who make mistakes because we all make mistakes. But as we submit to God, he has a way of kind of working around it, doing some amazing things. 
So in the big issues, in the decisions, and in the small things too, let's make a conscious decision to live in his will. See him just working it out. You know, it's amazing how he does these little things. We had an experience of that just a a couple of weeks ago. As you know, Meg um, Owens was Lapworth. Uh, She died and she was very ill and we didn't realize how ill she was. And I won't go into all the details, but just it was the second week of our holiday and the Lord just kind of led us really and enabled us to go and visit Meg, although we didn't know she was so ill. We saw her on the Wednesday. She actually passed away on the Sunday morning very early. And the Lord, I've said to other people, was all over it. And one little way he was all over it, because we asked God to just lead us. We weren't sure whether we should, how we should do this, and there were lots of uncertainties. And um, anyway, one of the things was we, we stayed in this B&B in Bangor. And uh, uh, I liked to book a good B&B. And on this occasion, when we got there, I thought, in fact, I said to Mary, what have I done? Why have I booked this B&B? You know, it was all right, but hadn't been decorated since about 1982. Uh, it was a car park. I mainly booked it because there was a car park there outside at the front. And uh, there was a kind of a, a conservatory by the front door. So we went to the conservatory and we were greeted by four or five uh, kind of construction workers who were sitting there, you know, with their B&B ready, drinking a few cans of beer, you know, before they kind of gave... And, we, we, and it was all a bit... Thought. So I said to Mary, what? anyway, it's fine, but I said, why did I do this? The next morning we went to breakfast and Meg's brother and his bro- her brother's wife were in the dining room. We had a wonderful time just sharing with them. They'd seen her the previous day. They told her how she was. And, you know, and, and actually Mary said to me, that's why we booked it. Now, I had noticed till she told me. It never occurred to me. That's why we need community. That's why we need each other as we live in God's will. So let's be those who, in the struggle, come near to God, as it says in uh, verse 7, and then come back to God when we need to, and then stay near to God. Let him be the judge. Don't cut yourself off from brothers and sisters by judging them. It's such a temptation. It's so easy to do. Leave that to God and make sure you're obeying him. And let's enjoy life with him, asking for his will, enjoying the adventure of finding it, seeing him at work in every part of our lives, remembering we need each other for all of this. Together we come near to God and together we stay near to him. We pray that he'll help us, won't we, as we seek to live with him, for him. If you need to talk to someone or pray with someone afterwards about anything, uh, or anything I've said, or anything else, now, come down here at the front, and there'll be some folks to pray with you. I'm going to hand back to the band now as we just continue in some worship.